In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. It's time to get happy. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen. A fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness because happiness is a choice. And happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show, Harvesting Happiness. Lisa's going to shine a light on the well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. And as a filmmaker, psychologist, author, professor, and motivational speaker specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cypress-Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. In the show, she'll also focus on military families, service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and civilian life reintegration issues. So let's get to it. Harvesting Happiness on Tuggynet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, and I'm here to speak with you today as I am each and every week about happiness, well-being, and human flourishing. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. The achievement of a happy life is not only good for us, but for those around us. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to the collective flourishing of humanity on a global level. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is all about the heart. Before we bring on our guest today, I would like to open up the phone lines for call-ins, and please call in. It is so much fun to engage with us, really, I promise. 877-864-4869. Again, 877-864-4869. You can also connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, our fan page, and we can take questions and dialogue with you there. All right. We're getting into tax season. We're coming or creeping out of a recession, maybe. And we always talk about money, 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 money. Can money make us happy if we buy this or that? Can we be happy or happier? And our guest today is author and professor James A. Roberts. Dr. James A. Roberts is a well-known marketing scholar who gives the reader an insider's look, and the reader being of his books, which we'll get to in a second, at the current research on materialism and happiness, including many of his own research studies into materialism and the related topics of money attitudes, credit card abuse, compulsive buying, and time affluence. Full of careful research and analysis, Shiny Objects, which is his latest book, opens the reader's eyes to how and why we have arrived in such a state of affairs and what can be done to lessen our preoccupation with material possessions. Keep this quiet, or maybe not so quiet, because maybe Dr. Roberts will, 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 will myth bust for us, but he shares the dirty little secrets that marketers use to fan the flames of materialism. You mean it doesn't just start with us, Dr. Roberts? Welcome. Do we have Dr. Roberts or did we lose him? Hmm. Well, 
Dr. Roberts is, is somewhere out in the ethers, and since it's live radio, we can just uh, ad-lib until he, he finds his way back to us. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure where he is, so let's, let's talk a little bit about consumerism and money. A primary focus of Dr. Roberts' work over the last 10 to 15 years has been the psychology of consumer behavior. That's the how, what, when, where, and why of how we do things or what we do. He is somewhat of an anomaly among marketing scholars in that his research is largely focused on the dark side of consumerism and marketing. Current research efforts focus on the topics of materialism, compulsive buying, credit card abuse, and self-control, as we mentioned earlier. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. We are going to be talking about money and happiness, how we can learn to be happier with less stuff, Um, the treadmill of consumption, the pain of paying, can credit cards make us fat? These are some of the issues that that we are hoping to uh, talk with Dr. Roberts about, and we're, 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 we're surfing for him now out there in the ethers, and we will get him back. Um... But this is a topic that if someone's listening that would will be willing to pony up and come online and talk about, this would, be, this would be a great subject to talk about how the recession has affected your own buying and how your own spending habits have affected your sense of overall happiness and well-being. I know in my situation with the recession, I prior to it, I led a, an extremely uh, abundant um, life. Uh, my then husband was a commercial real estate developer who was deeply affected by the recession. And we went from being uh, a have to a having less. And the interesting part of that process and the interesting part of um, losing money or losing one's wealth is it gives us a fantastic opportunity to go out in the world and redefine who we are and what brings us joy and how we can actually create more joy, which in effect is more wealth. It's a different kind of wealth. It's social capital, the kind of uh, capital that comes from creating good connections, from creating good relationships. And um, really defining one's life and who one is by a very different set of morals than common Western society teaches us. Because we're, we're taught through marketing and through mass media, through our parents, through our educational process, that the more we attain, the, 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 the better we are as human beings. And Hello. I think we have, we have Dr. Roberts back on the line. Hello, how was your trip out there in the ethers? Oh, awesome, awesome. I was lost for a little bit, but I got my bearings with your uh, togi chat, and so I'm back, and I'm here, and I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. And I was, I was carrying on with a discussion with myself <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> about, about happiness and money and my own experience of going from great abundance to having a significant, significant financial loss and actually the opportunities that that change afforded me and the opportunities for cultivating greater social wealth, greater connectivity wealth. And so mm-hmm. let's, let's just get on to your book and, and, and back to you because this is all about you and shiny objects. So why don't possessions make us happier? Why doesn't the stuff make us happier? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good reasons. A number of them are that really as human beings, we are social animals. And as social animals, what really brings us true and lasting happiness, I think that's the key, true and lasting happiness, is feeling good about ourselves, having healthy relationships, and being involved in a larger community. And materialism, our love of stuff, takes us away from those kind of things. When we are actively pursuing and displaying, we, materialism is a competitive and a comparative process. So instead of bringing us closer to people, it kind of distances ourselves. We, there's been studies, and I talk about several in my book, where we've actually found people who were more materialistic wanted more space between uh, them and other people. They wanted to uh, do solitary activities rather than activities that brought them together with other people. And those are just the kind of things that bring us happiness. So really, materialism, the love of stuff is antithetical to our happiness, to what we need as human beings to be happy. And yet, why as a society do you think that we strive so much for the next best handbag or car or, <laughs> or, or watch? Um, is it that the media is selling us that we will be, we will have arrived at, at being that person that has it all, that is, that is a good person if we have these things? Yeah, there is a number. You know, it's, I wish I could tell you and wrap up the reasons why we're materialistic and it doesn't bring us happiness all in one kind of nice little bag, but it is difficult and it is very complex. But one of the reasons is, yeah, Madison Avenue does its darn best every year to convince us. And last year, uh, 2010, 2011 was a little bit of a drop. Spend, Madison Avenue spent about $131 billion trying to convince us last year that happiness could be purchased online, at the mall, or from a catalog. And so that's a, that's a big force, you know, working in the wrong direction, as I see it, for individual consumers. So they, by and large, American consumers have bought bought, pardon the pun, hook, line, and sinker this idea that happiness can be purchased. And so, so yeah, the, the faint voices out there, you, me, and others who are saying, well, we need to reconsider how we relate to money because my book, it's not about money, and, and money is not an evil. And again, it's as we go back to the Christian Bible, it's to talk about the love of money and stuff that's at the root of all kinds of evil. So really, it's when we love things more than we love others and activity in the community and relationships is when it becomes dysfunctional. And so we have to look at it as a balance. It's not that money is evil. We know, we all know and would acknowledge that we need money to buy things. Money can offer uh, a very nice buffer for when bad things happen to us. You know, cars break down and things like that. You know, a car breaking down doesn't turn into a financial crisis when we have a buffer, when we have an emergency fund. So there are, money is something that we need and it can allow us to do fun things and do good things for other people. But when it becomes our primary motivating value is when it really undermines our happiness. So to kind of get back to your original question, yeah, we've got Madison Avenue who's selling us and telling us to the tune of $131 billion last year that happiness can be purchased. And here's what's interesting about, you know, why the question I think that begs is then, well, then why aren't we happier? You know, we're buying these things and, you know, most people would, if you surveyed the general population, would say, yeah, if they had more money, they'd be happy. Well, why aren't it has something to do with our ability as human beings to adapt. There's a, a theory called adaptation theory, and there's both a good and bad side to this adaptation theory. The good side is when something bad happens to us, if we have an accident, we lose access to, a, you know, we lose an arm or we are significantly hurt or we have a bad event happen in our life, 
humans are incredibly resilient, and we bounce back from these things. I know you're doing work with veterans and, and people like that. When we are incredibly resilient, even when terrible things happen to us, we bounce back. Some of them that are very bad take years to bounce back, but the more mundane things that happen to us, we're, we, incredibly, we adapt incredibly quickly to those things. So that's the good side of our ability as humans to adapt to a changing environment, changing situation. The bad side is when it comes to consumer behavior. With that same ability to adapt to bad things, we do the same thing with good things. So that 1,500 square foot house now becomes our new norm, and we're not going to be happy till we get 2,000. Well, you know the rest of the story. Then when we get a 2,000 square foot house or a new car, then our new norm, that becomes our new norm, and we want more. And so your listeners have probably heard of the treadmill of consumption. What happens with all this purchasing is... Dr. All Roberts, we do, we're going to need... I hate to interrupt you, but we are oh, going to no, need no, to no, go no. to a break. Because my producer, Carrie, she's going to cut me off whether you and I are talking or not. So That's I would fine. prefer that we hold these important thoughts because they are truly important. And I, I call this the bowl with the whole theory. And, and I'd like to explore that more. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Are you someone who leaps out of bed to greet the morning, amazed at your good fortune every hour of the day? Or are you someone like me who needs regular infusions of inspiration? I'm Meg Pierre, a photographer, travel writer, and creator of the website www.toginet.com viewfromthepeer.com, which focuses on the human quest to connect with self, others, and a sense of wonder. Every day, the site features a new beautiful image from my travels around the world, captioned by an uplifting quotation. This daily dose of inspiration is available free. Viewfromthepeer.com also presents monthly interviews with fascinating people I have met in my travels, who offer their personal stories and wisdom along with in-depth destination stories about cultural traditions from around the world. If your day could benefit from a quick change of scenery or attitude adjustment, I invite you to visit www.viewfromthepeer.com. Information is power, the power to change your life. So be here for Education to Excellence. Some of the most valuable information you may ever receive will be shared with you 7 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday night with Education to Excellence with your host, Bruce Beichman. You'll benefit from insightful shows featuring guests that are proven experts in their field. Little-known facts on how to improve your health by making one very simple change in your morning routine. If you're a high school graduate or working adult and a bachelor's, master's, or doctorate degree from an accredited college would change your life, you won't want to miss this. Education to Excellence. Shift your career into high gear without ever attending a traditional college class. Learn investment strategies from proven experts who have a track record of helping normal individuals build abnormal wealth. Check out their website, education2excellence.com. Then join us for the show, Education to Excellence, with your host, Bruce Beichman. Tuesday nights at 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific on toginet.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Cayman on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it 
It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back, everyone. We are here today with Dr. James A. Roberts, who is a well-known author, most recently of the book, Shiny Objects, which deals basically with money and happiness. He is a professor of marketing at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. And prior to the break, we were talking about the adaptation theory, our ability to be resilient and adapt to new circumstances, either dialing up or down in life as they happen. Welcome back, Dr. Roberts. Oh, thank you. We're going to hopefully you, keep you. you here with us. <laughs> Not like yeah, we had a little technical difficulty. So we'll live we by did. technology, die by it. Yep, yep. This is welcome to the world of, of live, right? Mm-hmm. So I love it. Me too. Let, so let's talk a little bit about this bowl with the whole theory, about why we always want more and more and more and more and more. And, and when we get more, there seems to be a little crack or hole, and that fullness sort of slips out at the bottom, and we can't ever become satiated as people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And like when, when we went into break there, I was talking about that idea that, you know, whatever we buy, the more and more we buy, there's two things. First thing, we just quickly adapt to that. And so that new 2,000 square foot house now becomes our normal. We want 2,500 square foot house. And what I was going to mention was that all we happen, all we do is we just tread, we just speed up the treadmill, that treadmill of consumption. We just speed up the treadmill, but we never get any closer to happiness. And so that's a real problem. And somebody, you know, when we're, when we're judging our success and the success of others based upon their material possessions, we're never going to be happy. Those are called extrinsic pursuits where they're, where materialism is very extrinsic in that we have to, we require or depend upon other people's approval for our sense of well-being. And when we do that, of course, then our sense of well-being is out of our hands. And so we have to be very careful that we try to have goals, which we call intrinsic goals, and uh, people who do research in this area, that are under our control, how we feel about ourselves and our relationships and our achievements in life. Those are things that we can control and do uh, contribute to our happiness. And this brings up a very excellent point about the relationship that we have to ourselves in terms of well-being and happiness, that it doesn't really come from an external source. Yes, our children bring us great joy. Our connections bring us great joy. But unless we are in good stead with how we're feeling about ourselves, that we feel that we are productive, we're kind, we're living by our values, we have empathy, Mm -hmm. compassion, all of the things that Martin Seligman says makes up a happier person unless those are are not cultivated well, then we will never have happiness. And it doesn't come from that correct meal or that correct car or the uh, fabulous stiletto shoes or whatever the it thing is of the moment. Um, It is an inside job, which is our tagline here at Harvesting Happiness, that happiness is an inside job. So I love this concept of uh, of less, you know, of, of, of living with less externally to have more internally. Yeah, oh yeah, you're definitely correct. And you mentioned some of those real luminaries in the field, Martin Seligman and the Biswas Biner, uh, Robert and his father, the, they call him Father Dr. Happy. And uh, so I'm very well familiar with their work. And it really does begin inside of us. And again, with materialism, our self-esteem becomes contingent upon other people's uh, approval. And that's just the road to uh, perdition. And so we uh, want to avoid that. And so, yeah, it's how we feel about ourselves. And really, a lot of the research tells us 
us that people who are materialistic are dealing with lower self-esteem. They're dealing with insecurity. And we all do, but it's just to a greater extent for people who are, they use actually, materialism is often seen as a coping mechanism. It's something that we do to kind of fill those holes, like that bowl with the hole you're talking about. We try to fill that hole with material possessions, but what we're finding, what research tells us and what we know all on an anecdotal level is that it's just not working. It, uh, stuff will not fill those holes, those insecurities that we feel about ourselves as persons. We need to do that uh, through other means. And that's about, uh, you know, um, I think Seligman, Martin Seligman talks about we have to improve our commerce with the world. And that means we have to do better. We have to be more successful. And we, when we do, guess what? We feel better about ourselves and don't need material possessions to, uh, to uh, prop ourselves up. And the doing better and being better is not about garnering a bigger paycheck. It's about, you know, I think we should qualify that for the listeners. It's really about mm-hmm. sort of cultivating a more well-rounded life and living true to our values. Whatever those values are, whatever it is that we hold near and dear to us, be it, you know, bravery, courage, kindness, empathy, compassion, um, we can go on and on and on. There, there are dozens mm-hmm. of them. Um, wonder, delight, curiosity, whatever that may be, when we hold true to those values, when we are walking that talk, inevitably our spirits are pulled along with that. Definitely. Oh, definitely. And I think of, I was thinking of Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of um, needs. And the idea behind that is we all need to be moving towards that. Not that, that many of us accomplish that level of self-actualization. But again, like you mentioned, where we're being driven by our own values and what we deem to be important, what we feel is fulfilling for us, rather than something dictated by Madison Avenue. And, th- and you know what? That takes courage in of itself to say that I'm not going to buy into somebody else's dream for me. I'm going to create my own. Oh, no doubt. It's like, you know, it, it, again, even the, the struggle that books, um, that my book is doing well and a lot of the other books that you've mentioned, Authentic Happiness and Happiness by the Diners and things like that, are, are great books, but we are fighting an uphill battle. We are salmon swimming upstream. Soci- our society is definitely has subscribed fully to the consumer culture that, you know, everything should be focused on the possession, display, and consumption of more and more material goods. So it's a hard message to get across to a hardcore uh, collection of Americans that really do believe that happiness is uh, as one purchase away. Well, you know, it's interesting. I just finished a book called Are We Happy Yet?, which, of course, is a play on Are We There Yet? Are We There Yet? Mm-hmm, Everybody's mm-hmm, kid mm-hmm. In, on the planet asks his or her parent. And um, Robert Biswastina wrote the, the foreword, and uh, he, he said, and it really didn't, I didn't really think of it as I was writing, but there is a, an entire chapter devoted to when less is actually more. And it is this very concept that, that you have written about. And he pointed out that that was probably the crux of it all. And that's why I'm so dialed into what you have to teach and what you have written about. And I guess I wonder for our listeners, how can we control our spending? What are some tools that we can employ to actually put this uh, theory into action for ourselves? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the three chapters, 12 through 14 of the book, so right before I just have the big close in chapter 15, I talk about self-control. Self-control is no easy thing today. You know, we have free time, we have money, and we have all these uh, lovely things being dangled in front of us. So self-control, and sometimes I really think that self-control is not in our nature as human beings. I think we need to 
teach ourselves to be better under better control. And of course, that's a good feeling as well. When we when we learn to kind of tame our demons, that involve that improves our self esteem as well. So the things that I talk about as they relate directly to uh, spending money, but this is what the beauty of these three chapters that I talk about on self control is that they can be a, they can they can be used in any aspect of your life where you're having problems with self control. So I'm talking in my book about money, but these same kind of techniques that I talk about in the book can work just as well for people having relationship problems, eating, drinking, any other kind of dysfunctions we might have. Self-control and what I talk about in the book could be applicable. So to answer your question, there's really three ingredients to self-control and that they are our ability to be self-aware, to self-monitor, to know what's going on in our in our environment, what's going on inside of us. Then we also have to have consistent values as a second ingredient. When we have conflicting values, you know, when and we all do to some degree, but the less we can, you know, less tension we have about our values in life, the more likely we'll be able to exert self-control. So what I mean by that is, you know, we all like stuff and want stuff, and but then we all hopefully we at least have somewhere back in our back of our mind this desire to save money. And we know we need to save for retirement. We need to save for uh, the proverbial rainy day. And so if we can bring those two a little bit closer, that creates less tension, and that's going to lead to much more. We're going to exert a lot more self, healthy self-control. So, yeah, we have to work on our values. What's really important to us? We're always going to have a little conflict there, but the more we can reduce that conflict, the less likely we're to have lapses in self-control. And here's the third ingredient, if you will, to self-control is um, – something in research that we call ego depletion. Really what I what it really comes down to practically for listeners is that it's we need to have the power, the capacity to be able to exert self control. And there's a very interesting stream of research that uh, has been going on by a guy named Roy Baumeister and he's written a very good book called Willpower. I probably shouldn't be peddling someone else's book on my interview, but it's a great book and he talks about um, what we need to do um, as far as ego depletion. And ego is our capacity to change. And really what it comes down to is that, as Baumeister first put this out there, is that all of us have a limited amount of self-control resource. And it's probably a lot like happiness and things like that. Some of us have a little more by nature. Some of us have a little less. But we all have a limited amount. And so when we use that self-control up in, you know, trying to diet or get along with a with a contrary boss or, you know, trying to save money or even just making everyday minutia, the small decisions we make, that usurp some of our self-control resources, and we don't have it left for when other things might come up. And so we really need to look carefully at these three ingredients. And this last one I'm talking about, ego depletion, really means we need to make sure that we're up for it, that we're not stressed out, we're not anxious, we certainly have to deal with depression, but also simple things like we need to make sure we are a nation, chronically a sleep-deprived nation. We need to make sure we have enough rest so when we get up the next day, our self-control resources are at full force so we can make good decisions and and uh, kind of kind of stay away from some of those uh, some of those um, evil not evil I shouldn't say that but some of those things that tempt us on a daily basis 
We are going to go to a break, and when we come back, I'd like to stay on this for a minute about the notion of good self-care, because we may be, here's an idea that just came to mind, and I'll get your feedback from the expert. We numb ourselves with spending and buying and acquiring in exchange for what we really need, which is the good self-care. We're going to go to a break, and to find Dr. Robert's book, it can be purchased on Amazon.com, and the book, again, is called Shiny Objects. We are going to be giving away um, one of these books, Why We Spend Money We Don't Have in Search of Happiness We Can't Buy is the subtitle. We are going to a break. We'll we'll be coming back. And Dr. Roberts, if if our listeners want to uh, connect with you directly, where would they do that? Oh, they can do that through. I have a a blog and I blog pretty much every week. Oh, just the name real quick because we're going to the break. Just to the break. All right, perfect. Thank you. We'll be right back. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet.com. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management, the holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness, how emotions are directly related to physical illness, and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. LinkedIn. It's a great tool. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady. With the LinkedIn lady show, Wednesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is here to show you and your business how every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose that can benefit you. The LinkedIn Lady will have interviews each week with a variety of guests, such as business owners who will showcase their businesses and talk about how they're using social media to stay in touch with not only customers, but to attract new relationships that become customers. Other guests will be experts in social media who will speak to the use of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google, Plaxo, Squidoo, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. Join us, won't you, every Wednesday afternoon at 5, 4 Central. It's the LinkedIn Lady Show with host Carol McManus on toginet.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. 
Welcome back, everyone. I'm here today with Dr. James A. Roberts, who is the author of Shiny Objects. And Shiny Objects really is an exploration of our relationship between money, materialism, and the thought or illusion that it's in the shopping bag. Welcome back, Dr. Roberts. Well, thank you. Let's talk a little bit uh, about the genetic predisposition we have to happiness, towards self-control, and that one famous study that um, it really brings a smile to my face that you can maybe you can tell our, tell our listeners about, about the marshmallow. Yeah, yeah, the marshmallow study. That's been bantied about uh, in the media a lot, and it's a great story, but it's, it's, it's a very telling story as well. I think the kids were about five. We'll go with five years old. They were young children, and they were asked, they were given a choice, actually. They were saying and, uh, by the, the experimenter that you can have one, um, you can either eat this marshmallow now, or if you wait until the um, experimenter comes back, you can have two marshmallows. <laughs> and so, you know, marshmallows you know, motivate me just like they do five-year-olds. And so um, what they found is, of course, as some kids succumbed and could not wait for the experimenter to return to the room and would gobble down the first marshmallow, and of course, they would forego the pleasure of that second one. Well, the, some children, of course, uh, the minority of the children, uh, waited till the, till the um, experimenter came back and got to eat both marshmallows. And so that's in, in and of itself an interesting, great story. One thing I do like about it, um, and I'll kind of tell you the punchline to this story, but the one thing I do like about it is that they looked at, well, what could these children do? It's just like adults. I mean, kids are no different than adults in, exor- in exerting self-control. Well, what they saw was that the kids who just you know, kind of looked at that marshmallow and stared at it, you know, draw, drew a bead on that marshmallow, they went crazy and could, you couldn't wait and ate the marshmallow. But the kids who um, you know, knew this was going to be a struggle but distracted themselves, some sang a song, you know, some looked elsewhere in the room you know, and didn't look <laughs> at the marshmallow, they were able to, you know, to forego and wait for the, for the experiment to come back and got two marshmallows. So that was, it's a great story. And, you know, but it does tell us something very important. And first, that distraction, I mean, it's like um, what our grandmothers used to tell us, and maybe even our mothers, but uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop, and that's particularly true when it comes to self-control. Um, it's called prepotency effect, when we can keep ourselves busy with something else. You know, we're having trouble with spending. Well, then don't sit around the house and, you know, on the computer, you know, with one click away from eBay. Let's go outside and get some exercise, do something that's good for us, and really just distract us from that struggle that we're having. But now the punchline to the marshmallow story was this, and this is, I mean, this is what really makes it more than just a interesting story and really something significant is that what we found later on those same children that were able to wait for the second marshmallow, so they had to wait longer where the other ones took the first one and ran so to speak, uh, were also found years later to do better on the scholastic aptitude test to get into college. Yes. That is, so, so, it, so that, that, that begs or that addresses your question that there is some evidence to suggest that our abilities um, are genetic. Well, many of our personality traits are genetic and our ability to control ourselves, suggested by this study and many others, is also partially genetically driven. But that doesn't mean that we can uh, just say, oh, I, don't, I didn't get the self-control genes that I can give up. No, we have lots of different things and ways that we control our environment and our behavior behavior to encourage the desired behaviors. 
And it is the uh, the art of delayed gratification. And I do think it is an art because for most of us, you know, we're not happy about delaying our gratification. We want what we want when we want it. But when we do have the ability to to delay, um, we find out we can do some – we have the control to do so many other things as well. Oh, ex- exactly. That You hit the nail on the head. Self-control is all about our ability as adults or as children to delay gratification. And again, it's always – but, you know, we see too often in society where we take the, the, the one marshmallow, right? We take the small, immediate rewards at the expense of the more distant but larger rewards. And that could be something as simple as, you know, we buy a car that we can't really afford or we go on fancy vacations we can't really afford, you know, which are nice and fun things, but they're small treasures uh, compared to the more distant treasure of having money for your 20 or 30 years of retirement. And so, yeah, we've really learned a lot from the kids and the marshmallows about uh, uh, self-control, but you're right. It is a difficult thing to do. Our society, our consumer society, certainly doesn't encourage it. You know, it's kind of like get it and get it now, right, before we uh, we fade away. And so, um, yeah, it is a difficult thing, but we can teach ourselves. And two chapters of my book talk about how we can teach ourselves to exert self-control when it comes to spending. Um, you have a, a, a line about credit cards making us fat. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that brings a chuckle to me. And what do you mean by that? Oh, yeah. Well, that, that, and that also ties in very well to what we're talking about with self-control. One of the first things I would say or suggest to your readers is that they want to exert self-control. They need to cut up their credit cards. Now, funny story about that is um, I um, lead a class at our church called Financial Peace, which, of course, is a Dave Ramsey course. And uh, the first year I was teaching that, I made that suggestion. That's one that uh, Dave feels very strongly about. And I thought I was in need security leaving the building that night. <laughs> um, you know, Americans are in love with our plastic. And here's the problem, again, about can it make you fat? And the answer to that is, it's kind of a provocative headline, and the answer to that is yes. Research tells us or showed us that when they first introduced credit cards into the fast food industry, credit card average bill went, from, went uh, increased by 60 to 100%. So wow. can credit cards make us fat? I call it, I called it, I think in the book, I call it the biggie size effect of credit cards. And what that means is it's not just food, but how, I don't think what people realize, a lot of just the average consumers don't realize that it's not even it's just alone our desires that drive our behavior, but how we pay for those fulfillment of those desires. And credit cards are very low on what we call the pain of pain scale, meaning that when we use credit cards, there's very little pain in that transaction. And so the less pain, the more likely we are to spend. Compare a credit card to spending with cash. I'm not sure about you or your listeners, but I know when I have to spend cash for something or even write a check, I'm much more likely to rethink that purchase and probably put that sweater back on the shelf and walk away as fast as I can because the pain of pain is so high. And uh, with credit cards, it's so low. First thing we all know, because we can worry about it 30 days from now. And as humans, we have a tendency to discount future events. And what I mean by that is, well, that's 30 days off. I'll worry about when it comes around. But the problem is, just like uh, you know, telling someone you'll do them a favor 30 days down the road doesn't sound like a big deal. But when those 30 days come around, guess what? You're just as busy as you were when you agreed to do that favor or 
you the money is just as tight when the credit card bill comes due. And so when we discount those future events, and I don't think what people um, think through this a lot when it, as it relates to the pain of pain, when we use credit cards, we don't have to what we call there's no there's no rehearsal. There's a lack of rehearsal. When we count out, when we pay with cash, we have to count out the green. We write a check. We have to write down the amount twice, for goodness sakes. And that gives us a lot of time to think through uh, whether we want the purchase, but also think through about how this is impacting our wealth. With credit card, you know, now you know. I mean, I, I still double take when they tell me I don't need to make, sign my credit card when it's under $25. And so that lack of rehearsal and then the delayed impact on our wealth, what it does is, we have a tendency then to overestimate our available wealth when we use credit cards. And of course, hey, we're rich. We'll spend it while we have it. And of course, we're not. But that's what happens when we use low pain of pain uh, methods for paying for our purchases. Well, the effect is delayed. It's like, you know, usually there's, you know, cause and effect for every action. Mm -hmm. There's a reaction. And that, uh, that in this case, that effect is delayed a month. So we don't we don't feel we don't feel that pain until uh, a month later when we've actually already forgotten the um, mm-hmm. the uh, the pleasure you know the hedonic pleasure the hedonistic pleasure of whatever it is that widget brought us in that moment. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, right. When that reinforcer or that punisher isn't closely tied proximately, and when it isn't in time close, it has less of an impact. You bet. Exactly right. Fascinating. And this has been one of the the greatest lessons that I've learned through this recession is that debt is not good. Greed is not good. And the ability to work to pay off debt um, actually is a joy-making experience, you know, to not – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I don't want to interrupt you because we're sliding to the break. So you go. No, you are 100% correct. I, th- I think what people have missed, and a lot of times, again, I've been counseling people about money and financial happiness, and uh, and what, what I find is you know, we all have different, very differing role models. You know, some some parents were you know, on top of things, and, you know, hey, money doesn't grow on trees, and you've got to earn, work to earn money, and they teach the value of money at a very young, young age, which is I think is the best gift you can give to your children. But others, you know, fall anywhere in between that extreme and just not talking about money and, you know, and indulging their children, they don't learn the value of money, and it becomes very difficult to do as you reach adulthood if you haven't had any grounding, but we can do it, and it's, it's not an easy thing to do, but uh, yeah, our financial upbringing begins or should begin, you know, as soon as we have the ability to kind of reason, and that means very young children should be uh, taught to save and have money, you know, to blow, but, but they need to realize that you know, there's value to money, and um, we don't get that if we don't work and that's the real struggle that parents like me and you have we have been very blessed and you know been able to have enough and be able to give our children what at least what society thinks that we need to give them and so they haven't grown up i remember i grew up you know where we work for everything beyond the very basic necessities of food shelter and clothing and i'll say clothing with in quotations because we didn't get we just got the plaid pants and anything else that we wanted <laughs> you know we had a hey, i think it's 70s here so think um, bold loud plaid pants and but that was I'm the with best you. gift yeah that was the best gift my parents ever gave me not that i may have um 
enjoyed it at the time, but I learned the value of money at a young age, and it stuck with me to today. And so what we need to do is for the listeners that didn't have that advantage, we can still do that, but we got to get to work. We are going to go to a break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the impact of materialism, shiny objects, and, and happiness in our personal relationships and our familial relationships. You can find shiny objects at Amazon.com, and Dr. James A. Roberts is our guest. We will be right back, and we can connect with him. Do you have a website for shiny objects? Is it .com, shinyobjects.com? I, I do. It's not shinyobjects.com, but if you type in shiny objects on Google and James Roberts, you'll catch me. All right, here we go to the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet.com. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 success stories from successful entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet. The show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Hence the name of the show. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back, everyone. We're here today with Dr. James A. Roberts, who has written a fantastic book called Shiny Objects, and it's about the relationship that we have to materialism, money, and the illusion that it really makes us happy, which we know at the end of the day it doesn't. And Dr. Roberts has a money joke, a materialism joke, so let's hear it. (laughs) 
All right. Now, remember, I'm going to preface this with I am not a professional comedian. But anyways, <laughs> let's, you put, it, put in your mind's uh, eye here. Someone's driving down the road in a big black uh, Lexus, Mercedes-Benz, uh, you know, a luxury mobile. Um, he pulls off the road opens up his door, and all of a sudden a large semi-truck runs by him and tears off his door. Bystanders hear him yelling, oh, my God, oh, my God, my Mercedes Benz. And the bystander walks up to him and says, your Mercedes Benz, that car also tore off your arm. The guy looks down at his arm and he goes, oh, my God, my Rolex. Oh, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> Well, anyway, you know, as materialism jokes go, there's you know, that's about the best I've got. Oh, that's that that's up there. But you know, there is uh, that concept of being blindsided or blindsided <laughs> by uh, by the stuff, and I guess that that's the point. Um, before the break, we were talking about the impact of money teaching delayed gratification to our children when they're young, possessing it ourselves so we know how to not eat the marshmallow when one is put in front of us. And let's talk about the impact of money, materialism, etc. on marriages and relationships because um, there's something going on there beyond the greenback itself. Yeah, and that's a really important, because of course, you know, our, our relationship uh, with our spouse is critical. It is really the foundation of our family. We forget uh, we can't be good parents, you know, unless we have healthy relationships, spousal relationships. You know, I mean, we can be good parents by individual, as single parents, so I'm not saying that by any stretch. But the foundation of a family is with the relationship between the two spouses. And so, yeah, very important and critical to our happiness, and it's a very foundation of our family. What's interesting is this, as it relates to families and happiness and spousal relationship, is I've been doing research for the past 15 years on compulsive buying. And so I've looked at, you know, who are compulsive buyers and why do they compulsively shop and what are the negative outcomes of that kind of stuff. And that's a, really a logical outcome of being materialistic as well, is that we spend too much. Well, what I what I predict and what I've been what I found to be happening is that it's no longer, we thought largely for probably the first 10 years I was doing research in the area, we felt that compulsive buying was what we call the largely female affliction. But I predicted that with each successive generation, that's just not the case. Men are, have jumped in both feet into this spending, uh, spending uh, excitement or um, spending. And so, yeah, men are in both feet now. I've done some recent studies that have shown men may be as, if not more, compulsive in their shopping than women. Of course, certainly in different product categories. So that just adds more fuel to the fire, right? So now we've got both what we thought was just a female fiction. Men are having problems with compulsive shopping just as much as women, maybe more. That's what my research is suggesting. And here's the problem with that. Of course, certainly when everyone, one person has a problem, if you add another to it, that just compounds the problem. And one of the real problems with that is, is that it impacts our relationships. And we're talking about marriage and family here. When, when, um, and not surprisingly, when, um, and what, what I thought was interesting, and there's been a lot of careful research done with thousands and thousands of people in the family relationship literature and things like that to support these findings. And what we found is that women see men just as likely to spend foolishly, quote unquote, as women, men are to see women. So it really is a problem for both men and women now. It's no longer something we consider just simply a female affliction. So I think that's always something good for your female listeners to 
here. This isn't something, and they probably knew that already. This isn't something that's just their problem. Well, when it comes to families, and this shouldn't be a great surprise, but when one or both spouses are highly materialistic, what do they do? They have a tendency to fight. They're more selfish. You know, they're more self-centered, and that might even undermine their parenting as well. But they argue more about money. They show that they're less, they report that they're less satisfied with money. And then here's the, the drum roll, please. The real come down to this couples that are highly materialistic, where one or more of the people in the couple are highly materialistic, are 40 to 45% more likely to get divorced. So there is something going on with our relationship with money that doesn't just impact our checkbook, but impact, you know, again, how we feel about ourselves and, in this particular instance, how, uh, how satisfied uh, and how successful our marriages are. You know, I think you, you bring up an excellent point because it goes back to that that place of self-esteem. You know, that that <coughs> is it, excuse me, the external experience that we're vying for or the internal one. And it is the internal one when we're feeling good about ourselves that makes us more apt to have stronger marriages and relationships because we can't satisfy, we can't scratch the itch or fill the bowl um, if we're going outward. Not really. Yeah, no, and, and you're right. And uh, the idea there is, you know, materials is a very selfish pursuit, so it pushes away the very people uh, that uh, would have the chance of making us the happiest, you know, our friends, our spouses, our children, you know, other people, our activities in community, our activity in uh, church and community activities. So, yeah, it really, it really just is antithetical to our happiness. And so we have to be careful that, uh, yeah, that we mind the values that are going to be lasting, that are and provide lasting happiness. And that sometimes is not an easy thing to do, as we've been discussing. No, it's not. I'll tell you something that my own personal experience over the past few years is I'm more apt to spend money now on something that will buy an experience as opposed to a thing. So, for, for instance, for my children and I, I'm more apt to say, well, let's go and go indoor go-kart racing. You know, let's just do something really different to create a memory as opposed to buying an object that they really are just going to cast aside, you know, two days later because they're over oh. it, which is the nature of a teenager. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. Yes, spending. I call. I, I talk about it called spending happier. And yeah, one thing is the experiences, and we call that experiential materialism. You know, doing things like vacations, where you not only are you having that time, you know, from our busy lives to bond with family members and create memories that will last a lifetime, rather than you know something that can we store up our treasures here on earth with a rust away. And that's what happens to material possessions. But those memories, I still think back to our six-week family vacation. I was working at the University of Hawaii. I think back to my children, you know, walking over the, uh, the lava flow on, uh, on the big island and things like that. And those are memories I cherish and will never go away, you know, compared to, you know, some car or, pair, you know, some clothes, a pair of pants that uh, will quickly fade away. Uh, agreed. And you can't, you can buy the opportunity through money, you know, to, 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 to be exactly. in Hawaii or to do these wonderful things. And it is our education and what we allow ourselves to be exposed to that, in a sense, buys the opportunity. But there's nothing that can buy that experience or that memory. It's, it's, it's created. It's a different, it's a different capital. 
Yeah, it, it really is. And so that's what I like about um, my, my book is that it's a, it's, 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 in, in the end, it's ultimately a happy, it's a, it's a hopeful tale. Then you know, we can find happiness in this you know, consumer gone wild kind of world that I call it. And uh, again, we can spend our money smarter. We can spend our money happier. And again, vacations, getting plugged into the community, you know, giving to church. Uh, again, instead of giving, like you mentioned, instead of maybe giving a Christmas present of a baby, baseball glove, what about the Christmas experience of going to a baseball game with your children or with your niece or your nephew, um, you know, taking classes, you know, growing self-growth, um, spending money on others. People still don't believe that, but the research tells us that spending money on others brings more pleasure for many of us than spending money on ourselves. That's a hard one in our society to, to believe, but when you think about some of your happiest experiences and happiest moments in your life, they haven't been centered around material objects but about when someone's given you an unsolicited comment or when you just felt good about something you did for somebody else. Well, this is a great point. One of the Rockefellers uh, said something like, the only thing we have left to show for our lives when we die is what we've given away. And I think that that really is the point about that when we sort of give from the heart, we give of our time, give of our, of our emotion, of our patience, um, to someone else or something else, it inevitably brings an, a better sense of well-being. You know, that some people call it the helper's high, you know, when we're doing mm-hmm. it for someone else. Um, we are just about out of time, and I just wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing what clearly is your passion with us through Shiny Objects and the work that you're doing and, and this sort of unpopular twist of, of marketing. You know, this is, uh, mm-hmm. this is the stuff that the marketers don't want us to really be aware of. And I'm wondering if, if you could impart a secret or two, a dirty little secret or two, of what the marketers do to fan the flames of materialism that we should be on the lookout for. The whole, yeah, yeah. This is, again, this is kind of the insider's view of what marketers might want. I'm kind of considered an anomaly in that I teach. I will go tomorrow and teach advertising, yet I talk about the negative impact that advertising may have on our materialism and our quality of life. So, yeah, it it is an insider's view of all this and a very careful view of it. But, yeah, let me give you a couple and see. And I think a lot of this will resonate with your listening audience, something called product obsolescence and planned obsolescence. Well, planned obsolescence is, and this gets us to buy more. And how do they do that? And we all had, uh, and I have a couple of funny stories in my book about this, but there's most products today, you know, most, probably all products today are born with, or are made with what we call death dates. Dates that the uh, manufacturer <laughs> yes. knows this product isn't going to last any longer than this. You know why? Because they put parts in it that they've tested over thousands of hours that they know are going to break down. And so that keeps us coming back to the cash register because the product breaks down and you know the the rest of the story is and then it's either too expensive to fix or it plain can't be fixed and so we go back to the till to buy a new one and so that's called planned obsolescence and, and our so printers, been, i need to interrupt you and i'm really sorry about it because we're running out of time but the, the best example i think is the computer printer because uh, for me it's a yearly uh purchase they just they, mm-hmm. they they go kaput after a year they're so cheap to buy and we and we buy a new one thank you and think so about much. those printer cartridges yeah yes thank you so much dr roberts for being on the show we will definitely be offering a contest giveaway for shiny objects and here are a couple of thoughts before we part happiness is not a destination it cannot be bought sold or traded happiness will never invite you to the party Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, 
purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and Dr. James A. Roberts wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And to find Dr. Roberts and his work, you may Google him, uh, Shiny Objects. You can buy his book, Shiny Objects, on Amazon.com. And again, his full name is Dr. James A. Roberts, and he is a professor. And here we go. Here come the tunes. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for being a part of Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. We'll do this again next Wednesday morning at 10, 11 Central here on Togenet.